And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to and come in my dress room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. And comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Money Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360 will conclude Life with Luigi, starring J. Carol Nash from 1950. Then it's a true crime case on Whitehall 1212, written, produced, and directed by Willis Cooper from 1952. And by my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. Great studios here that you paid for. Well, thank you. I decided it was either the studios or the Jaguar, so I went with the studios. Yeah, well, last time... We began listening to a very funny episode of Life with Luigi called The Boys Club. Let's go back to uh, April 25th, 1950. J. Carol Nash stars now. Here's Life with Luigi. Oh, Luigi, are you for shimmer? You sound like you already went ten rounds with the killer. All right, Basco, you're next. No, 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 you ain't taking him. He ain't a citizen, and if you kill him, tomorrow America has got at war with Italy. <laughs> no, no, please, please, Schultz. I'm going to promise the boys a club for $50, and I'm going to deliver. He is going to deliver. All of a sudden, he's talking like a milkman. <laughs> well, what's the use? Come on, fellas. We'll stay with Luigi in his corner and pick up the pieces. <laughs> That's just such a funny people. They never even saw me, and already they hate me. Ladies and gentlemen, now for his book, the poet from Chicago's own North Holstead Street, the killer takes on Luigi Vasco. <laughs> hey, Horowitz. Horowitz, why are they all saying a boo? They're trying to scare me? Luigi, that's human nature. When men gather in a crowd, they like to see blood. Especially if it's not their own. <laughs> go home, Luigi, so they wouldn't see you us. Okay, boss, go come to the center of the ring. All right, I'm coming. All right, two of get together. Hello, Mr. Killer. It's a nice weather, huh? Shut up. <laughs> Okay, Basco, now I'll give you some brief instructions. Oh, thank you. You're going to teach me how to fight, huh? Shut up. Now listen, Basco, I want no fouls, no holding, no elbow, no button, no open gloves, and a kiss, and everything strictly according to Marcus of Queensbury rules. Huh? And one thing make sure of, no rabbit punches. Oh, don't worry, I'm going to never punch the rabbit in my life. <laughs> All right, now, before you come out, fight and shake hands. Oh, it's nice. I'm a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Keller. Shake me, shake. <laughs> okay, back in your corner and come out fighting. Ring the bell, Joe. 
Now don't forget, Luigi, keep away from him. Like this is sure. So don't look at me. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six. Please, please, mister. What's the matter? And instead of practicing the arithmetic, why don't you help me to get up? <laughs> Wait a minute, never mind, never mind. I'm, I'm going to stand up by myself. Good, good for you, Luigi. The killer looks worried. Yeah, yeah, he's wondering why that punch didn't kill Luigi. <laughs> Mamma mia. Every time I'm going to stand up, the floor is going to come up to meet me again. Five, six, seven, he's up. How do you feel, Basco? How would it feel if I... If the killer would have stopped hitting me. Look out, Luigi! Hey, <laughs> he's a mystery! Oh, he's a no mystery. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. By the bell. Luigi made twenty dollars. No, wait, I go out and drag him in. Oh, that crazy little Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> Come on, Luigi. Ha. Oh, I What? What am I doing to fight any of you? <laughs> Never mind. Come into your corner. Luigi, after tonight, you don't ever have to worry about the hydrogen bomb. <laughs> oh, Luigi, what you look like. It shouldn't happen to a dog. It couldn't. The dog would have gone home by now. Mamma mia. I'm going to make $20 in, in three minutes. Soon I'm going to make enough for the boys' club. Soon you're going to make enough for a tombstone. <laughs> Luigi, listen to me. Kimmy, there goes the bell. No, no, what a shot, sir. Shut up! Oh, I'm a fella. Luigi, should I throw in the towel? Oh. Oh. Th- should I throw in the towel? I'll turn if you want to, but, but I don't think I've got enough time to wipe myself. Ooh. <laughs> <sighs> oh, one, two, three. Ooh. Oh. One, two, three. Ooh. One, two, three. Ooh. Hey, hey, lay down, Luigi. Sounds like you're doing a conga in your sleep. Huh? Huh? Hey, Pasquale, what am I doing in my bed? Olsen brought you home. You couldn't afford a hospital. What a stupid greenhorn booby you are. Look at you, some sight. My little cabbage head has got a cauliflower ears. Hey, Pasquale, Pasquale, how much, how much money am I made it tonight? Twenty dollars. Only twenty. They tell me you was a bouncer for two rounds. <laughs> In the second round, they had to stop it. The crowd was getting seasick watching you go up and down. <laughs> Only twenty dollars. I didn't get the money, and I'm, I didn't even make the crowd happy. What do you mean, make the crowd happy? There was, a, there was a hollering and a kill him, a kill him, and I didn't even get the killed. <laughs> Well, Luigi, you just can't please anybody. 
You're right, the Pasquale. I'm no good for anybody. Eh, Luigi, you're still good for somebody. <laughs> Why don't you listen to me? Stop a fight in the life and a marry Rosa. Then I'm a could just rest and stay out of everybody's way. Pasquale, I'm a think you're right. <laughs> You're never gonna regret it. I call in a Rosa right now. Rosa! 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 You me, Papa. <laughs> yes, my little flyweight. Rosa, say hello to Luigi. <laughs> hello, Luigi! Hello, Rosa. <laughs> Happy day for you. Luigi's gonna give you his name. Oh, goody. Now everybody's gonna call me Luigi Basco. <laughs> Hello. Horowitz. Schultz. Hey, Horowitz, what do you got your head all bandaged up for? Horowitz. He was a hard accident. Here, Luigi, here's the other twenty dollars. <laughs> Horowitz, you didn't. He did. The last fighter to go with the killer. He stayed there for three minutes and then he laid there for another 30. <laughs> Schultz was hiding under the ring. Every time I got knocked down, he stuck a pin in me. <laughs> did I get up? Here, here, take the 20. Well, Pasquale, now I got the money, everything is all right. Looks like I'm gonna make a speech after all. What? Listen to you, Papa Squeak. Even if you got a fifty dollars, what do you think those kids are gonna say about the way you got beat up? Courage and athletics. You should have talked on the ten easy ways to commit a suicide. <laughs> you just said that because you're angry, Pasquale. No, Luigi, don't say that. I got more news for you. The boys' club decided that you are not gonna give the speech. What? Yeah, Pasquale is gonna do it. <laughs> what do you know? Now maybe you take a few lessons from me, eh? Class is always a good tell. They, they couldn't do that. They did, Luigi. Yeah, especially when we told them how Pasquale said he was giving it $200 for the gymnasium. Yeah, $200! <laughs> Schultz, you joke. Oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> Class will tell. <laughs> <laughs> Luigi, what's the matter? My, my rheumatism is killing me. <laughs> and so, Mamma Mia, everything is a turn out wonderful. The gymnasium was open, and Mamma made the speech. Pasquale didn't give any money. Schultz and Horowitz was just a plain joke. But Pasquale got so sick over it, everybody was happy. He's to start everything, and it's all coming back to him. He's like Uncle Pietro always used to say. He's an ill wind that gives the people pneumonia. <laughs> well, good night, Mamma Mia. Take good care of yourself. Keep healthy. I'm learning an important thing this week. Good thing in life. It's not only courage in athletics, but it's a courage in life. You're loving a son, Luigi Vasco, the immigrant. 
The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum invite you to listen next week at the same time when Luigi Basco writes another letter to his mama Basco in Italy. Life with Luigi is produced and directed by Cy Howard and is written by Mac Benoff and Lou Dermott. Jay Carroll Marsh has starred as Luigi Basco with Alan Reeves to swallow. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's Life with Luigi from April 25th, 1950, The Boys Club, starring J. Carol Nash. Also in that cast, Alan Reed, who was the voice of Fred Flintstone, Mary Ship, Hans Conried, Ken Peters, and Joe Forte. That was sponsored by Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, is heard on CBS. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's Whitehall, 1212, Good Mystery. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. Time now for Whitehall 1212. This was a crime series. Came to NBC Radio in 1951. Time now for the Eaton Brothers case starring Harvey Hayes. This is from September 7th, 1952. And all British cast stars now in Whitehall 1212. One, two, one, two. This is Scotland Yard. For the first time in its history, Scotland Yard opens its official files to bring you the true stories of some of its most baffling cases. These are the true stories. The plain, unvarnished facts, just as they occurred, reenacted for you by an all-British cast. Only the names have, for obvious reasons, been changed. The broadcasts are presented with the full cooperation of Scotland Yard. Research for Whitehall 1212 is prepared by Percy Hoskins, chief crime reporter of the London Daily Express. The stories for radio are written and directed by Willis Cooper. The next voice you will hear is that of Chief Superintendent John Davidson, who is in charge of Scotland Yard's famous Black Museum. Good afternoon. We keep this document in an ordinary letter-sized filing cabinet, the kind you've surely seen many times. Oh, yes, here it is. It is typed on the official stationery of a London evening... Uh, never mind, it's, it's the stationery of a London newspaper. It's titled Confession in Big Black Letters. And it is a confession, the signed and attested confession of a murderer. No, it didn't hang him. Mr. Justice Anderson, who tried the case, castigated the man in the newspaper severely when he halted the trial. But that's not all the story. Here is Chief Inspector Hubert Allen Scott. He'll tell you the whole thing. Will you speak up, Herbert? Yes, it was in September 1931, wasn't it, that this began? September 1931, yes. 
September 1931, the 17th, that's right. It was an empty shop at New Compton Street, Soho. I suppose you'd call them wine merchants, the people who had occupied the place. They'd moved out in a hurry, and the place was littered with the things that had been peculiar to their business. Empty wine bottles, broken casks, a few crates that had once contained rather, rather inferior clarets. Although the place had stood vacant for some two months, it was still appallingly filthy and showed signs of someone having lived in the place during that time. A pair of brothers named Eaton had recently taken the place to house their sign-painting profession or business or whatever sign-painting is, and it was the elder Eaton, Oswald, a man who wore a most impressive beard, who had telephoned Scotland Yard. It was nearly noon when I arrived in response to the summons. Oswald Eaton sat glumly on a drum of blue paint and stared at a corner of the shop. I identified myself. I do, Chief Inspector. She's over there in the corner, behind the counter. I made my way through the litter to the counter. To the little counter in the corner of the room where the cash register had stood. And there she was. She's dead. A youngish woman with black hair, wearing a green woolen suit, crumpled up under the little wooden counter as if she'd fallen asleep there. Lying quite peacefully on the floor, one arm cuddling what had been a Jeroboam of... I glanced at the label, very inferior champagne. Her face... I don't like to think about her face. The woolen belt of her dress was knotted tightly about her throat. Not at all an edifying sight. Who is she, I asked Eaton. Never saw her before. How'd you get in here? Sure, I don't know, Chief Inspector. Horrid, isn't it? How many times have you been in here? Only twice. When? The day before yesterday, when I saw it the first time. Yesterday, when I told the agent I'd rent it from his son's shop. Was the agent here with you? Yesterday, yes. Before, no. Was she here, then? Didn't see her. The agent didn't see her yesterday, either, I expect. Didn't say anything about seeing her. Well, I must talk with him. Got an office, such as it is, next door but one. What's his name? Uh, Harold Turner. What sort of chap is he? Seedy. Oh? Office next door, you said? Next door but one. <laughs> poor blighter. Why poor blighter? <laughs> poor fellow's stony broke. Oh. He used to own this wine shop before he got run out of business. <laughs> Lost every bean. That's a shame. Happens to a good many people these days. Lost his home, flat, you know. They took that away from him, too. Where's he been living? <laughs> What's the matter? <clears throat> He's been living in here. Here? I mean, in this shop here? That's right. See? That's where he slept. That straw over there. Ah. <laughs> Said he'd moved to a new place when I said I wanted to rent the shop. He did. Where? You know? His office, I mentioned. There's a carpet on the floor. Better bed than his straw. Oh, poor beggar. Uh, say he's been staying here up to yesterday, though. The day before. Moved out at once when I told him I wanted it. Who hadn't much to move. Look, uh, what do we do about this new tenant here on the floor? Oh, I've got to get this place cleaned out. I'll have her taken to a mortuary. Someone killed her, you suppose? Looks like it. Oh, somebody strangled her with her own belt. We'll have to let the police surgeon decide that. You don't see any other wound? And you don't know it? Mm, not I. Perhaps this Turner will. If she's from around this neighborhood, he will. He knows everybody. He have a key for this place? There isn't any key. Been unlocked all these months. Why haven't one made? I'm crazy. Well, she's hardly at her best just now, you know. Never was, I should say. You say you don't know her? 
Look here, Chief Inspector, my friend. You think I did this? If I should happen to think so, Mr. Eaton, I'll tell you that, I promise you. Well, all right. Don't keep me in suspense. I won't. All right. You know anything about this you haven't told me? No, I don't. You suppose you could call and ask your Mr. Turner to step in here whilst I finish my preliminary examination? I'd like to have a little talk with him. You're thinking he did it. Will you allow me to draw my own conclusions, Mr. Eaton? I'm sorry. I'm hoping he can identify this woman. Oh, excuse me. Will you call him, please? Yes, sir. Yes, indeed, sir. There's not much to examine. Though I made short work of it, Eaton had not returned when I finished. I suppose I should have stepped round to the office of Mr. Harold Turner to determine what was causing the delay, but I noted a pay telephone in the corner of the shop and I used it instead to call Scotland Yard and arrange for the removal of the body of the unfortunate woman. And then I decided to follow Mr. Eaton. Two doors away was the office in question. It didn't seem to me as I entered to be the kind of place an indigent renting agent was using as a doss house. It was neatly, if not elaborately, furnished, and a well-dressed young man smiled at me from a battered but quite decent desk. Good morning, sir. Um, oh, I say, I, I, uh, I'm looking for Mr. Oswald Eaton, but, um... Oh, the chap with the beard who rented my old wine shop. Oh, yes. I'm afraid I haven't seen him since the day before yesterday, sir. Eh? I completed my arrangements with him, left him in possession... That he'd just fix himself up a bed on the floor. Are you, Mr. Harold Turner? Right. I'm sorry, I don't... Are you, Harold Turner? Most assuredly am, my dear fellow. Who would you be? You're Harold Turner. I've told you what... Where did Eden go? Being most impertinent, sir. Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Chief Inspector Scott. Scotland Yard, you know. What do you want Eden for, Chief Inspector? Why, he said... Are you the man who rented that shop to Mr. Eaton for his sign painting? Sign painting studio? I'm afraid I am, if you mean the place where I formerly sold or rather failed at selling a most inferior line of wines and liquors. What have you done? Set it on fire? I had my suspicions of the man from the beginning, Chief Inspector. But he's paid me my money and there's always the insurance. You haven't seen him this morning? Not since the day before yesterday, as I told you. Tell me something, Mr. Turner. Were you or were you not living in that place since your wine shop? Uh... I think you'd have difficulty in convincing my wife that I've been living anywhere but in our flat. You're talking about living there. That's absurd. Mr. Eaton said you'd been living there ever since he uh, he showed me the uh, spot on the floor where you had your um, bunk. Now that's errant absurdity, sir. Here's the telephone. Pick it up and ring through to my flat. Here. Here's the number. Or telephone my landlord. He'll tell you where I've been living since 1925, sir. You can easily find out where I've been spending my time. All I know, Mr. Turner... You are Mr. Turner, aren't you? Of course, I'm Harold Turner. I'm sorry. All I know is what Mr. Eaton has told me. What but... Mr. Eaton has told you. Look here. He's the bloke that's been pigging it there. Two nights at least. Wait, where is he? Let me get my hands on that citizen. I'll chuck him out on his filthy beard with my own two hands. Where is he? He, uh, he was coming here to get you. Get me? He wanted me. Uh, What's he want of me, I say? We wanted you to identify the dead woman. Dead identify? 
here. Are you really a Scotland Yard man? What dead woman, I say? What dead woman? Mr. Turner, I'm sorry. You'd better be, sir, coming to me with... What dead woman? I'm sorry. There's a dead woman in the shop where you were living. I mean... Are you from Scotland Yard, sir, or are men in white coats looking for you? That's the first portion of Whitehall 1212. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Check this out. Look what I'm holding here. Remind Magazine. And look who's on the uh, cover of this issue. the Fonz. That's right. It is the Fonz. And this uh, September issue is all about going back to school. And look at all the... uh, We have John Travolta there. Welcome back, Cotter. And we have the Facts of Life girls. So this magazine is uh, just what I know our listeners would like. Remind Magazine is all about nostalgia. And it's all about uh, TV and radio and movies. And I write an article every month for Remind Magazine. My article is called Radio 360, and I take a, uh, a classic radio series and write all about it. And our schedule is in here, too, and it's just chock full of fun stuff. So what is your article in, in this particular edition? one? It was about Archie Andrews okay. because it's back to school, you know, right. with Archie Andrews and things. So I try to tie it to whatever the theme is in the magazine. But Remind is a great magazine. You can pick up a copy at any Barnes & Noble store or any Walmart store or just go to their website, remindmagazine.com. That's remindmagazine.com. And don't forget to join the Classic Radio Club. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. And if you want to talk to a live operator 24-7 for the Classic Radio Club, just dial 888-642-6556. Once again, 888-642-6556. Check out Classic Radio Club. You will absolutely love it, folks. Now let's get back to Whitehall 1212. If a man in a white coat had suddenly appeared at that moment, I'm certain that I would have slunk up to him and begged refuge in his butterfly net, pending my removal to the nearest loony bin. Instead, clutching Mr. Harold Turner securely by the arm, I proceeded back to the former wine shop. Nothing had changed. Where's this dead woman? Here she is. Hmm. Do you know her? Marlena. Not Dietrich. Marlena Corcoran. You admit you know her? Of course, everybody in Soho knows Marlena. You know what I mean? Dead, isn't she? There's not much doubt of that, Mr. Turner. Who killed her, do you suppose? I don't know. I didn't. Eaton? We don't know, sir. No, not Eaton. Frankly, I'm beginning to wonder, sir. But we shall see. Tell me about her, please. Well, Marlena's been a, a character about so for a good many years, since the war, at least. Everyone knows her. She isn't, wasn't very smart. But, oh, poor girl. She must have got in here hoping to find a bottle of wine or something. She apparently did. That bottle she's clutching never had anything in it. An advertising thing. Not very good champagne, either. And she was killed. Maybe their fingerprints. On the bottle, I mean. We shall see. 
My murder squad will be here any moment. They'll be checking on everything, fingerprints and everything. Poor old Nolene. wonder where the sign-painting maestro went. Ah, here come my people now. Who's that? My reinforcements, the murder squad. Uh, what did you say? I said I wondered where Eaton went when he said he was going to look for me. Oh, we'll find him. Never fear about that. The men with the grisly wicker body basket came and took Marlene away with the police surgeon. The men with the efficient little black bags and the little vacuum cleaners came and they searched everything in the dingy little shop. The fingerprint men came with their brushes and powders and cameras and they examined everything. The other men came and listened to what was said and they echoed my competent statement. Oh, we'll find him, never fear. There were no fingerprints, was nothing at all. The police surgeon agreed she had been strangled with her own belt. And the hue and cry was raised and Oswald Eaton was not found. And presently what was once Marlena Corcoran was buried. Then, it was three weeks later, and I was sitting gloomily in my office alone when a strange man entered. He showed a great expanse of gleaming white teeth as he introduced himself as a crime man from the evening... Well, never mind what paper it was. And I said yes, and he sat down. You really are Chief Inspector Scott, then. I'm afraid I didn't give you my name. Romney Benedict. I'm glad to see you, sir. Glad I'm not a very good subject for an interview, Mr. Benedict. <laughs> I didn't come to interview you, sir. Oh? I came to give you some information. Oh? I'm given to understand that you are troubled, if I may use the term... By two things, Chief Inspector. If there were only two, I should be extremely happy. <laughs> the murder of a woman in Soho. Marlena Corker. Uh, was that her name? Yes. And the whereabouts of one Oswald Eaton. I am reasonably certain that finding Mr. Eaton would be of value in solving the murder. We've been searching for him. I can find him for you. I trust this is not a joke, Mr. Uh, Benedict. It is not, sir. I can produce Mr. Eaton on comparatively short notice. Where is he? In our office. How long has he been there? For some time. I must warn you, Mr. Benedict, that if you're attempting to interfere with the... Oh, my dear sir. <laughs> Let me assure you we have no thought of interfering. We're trying to assist justice on the contrary, as we shall demonstrate to you. You have been holding the man by your own admission so that we have been unable to find him. I think it, uh, you'll find it rather embarrassing and, uh, I'm sure, useless to attempt to prosecute us, sir. Explain that. I should be happy to, sir. Well? Be so good, Chief Inspector, as to have a look at this document. What is it? You'll see that it is clearly entitled Confession. Confession of what? Confession to murder. What? I think you'll find it in good order, sir. Dictated to one of our stenographers, approved by our own legal staff who have read it, signed by the man who dictated it. This is, of course, a copy. We have the original in our files. What is it? A confession to the murder of, um, Marlena Corcoran. Signed in the presence of witnesses by Oswald Eaton. It's yours, sir. We also are interested in seeing justice done. Did you pay him for this? Can you pay a man for signing away his life? I don't know. 
We, we offer it to you freely, sir. And if you don't want it, my dear inspector, you can read it tomorrow in the pages of our great paper. Well, what about Eden? Where will we find him if I don't accept your offer? We'll find him for you. Scotland Yard finds its own criminals. You're being dramatic, son. We found this one. Come and get him. And if you're not disposed to accept this document and prefer to read it tomorrow with our thousands of other readers throughout the British Isles and abroad, we shall be uh, charitable when public opinion asserts itself. We shall lead you to him again, and you can use your own excellent judgment. Give it here. So gracious, Chief Inspector. Excuse me, sir. Uh, Scotland Yard is grateful to you for assisting us, although I'm sure you're aware that this confession is not admissible as evidence. It'll be an extremely useful guide in preparing your case. I'm not finished, sir. I was going to say, however much we deploy your methods, and I may say your morals. We may rely upon your well-known generosity, sir. May I suggest that you send for your prisoner at once? We're at some expense. I shall accompany you myself, Mr. Benedict. My car is outside, sir. After this somewhat painfully formal exchange of the amenities of the occasion, I was relieved to be able to look Mr. Oswald Eaton once more in his beard and say to him that, among other things, whatever he might say from now on will be taken down in writing and might be used in evidence. Mr. Eaton giggled and jingled money in his pocket. I was actually sorry for the fellow. It was his own blood money he was jingling. A magistrate remanded him at once on the strength of his confession and the things I could add to jail. Bow Street. He chuckled as his cell door closed behind him. The newspaper came out with great boastful headlines. They even mentioned the sum of money they paid Mr. Eaton for his confession. We received some of the congratulations, and my name was in the story, too. We set out at once to recheck the points he made in the confession. He had confessed that he strangled her with his bare hands. I referred back to the report of the police surgeon. The cause of death was strangulation or suffocation accomplished by the belt of Marlena Corcoran herself. There is no evidence that manual strangulation was employed. No evidence that manual strangulation was employed. I had an exhumation order issued, and a second post-mortem examination of the victim's body was made. They established that it would not have been possible for her to have been strangled by anyone's hands. The belt was the sole cause of her death. I asked Eaton, and he laughed through his beard. I went back to the confession. I gave her a bottle of liquor to drink, and she finished it, it said. Then she started it on the Jeroboam of champagne, drank it all, became unconscious, and... I reached for the telephone and called Harold Turner. Didn't you say, Turner, there'd never been any champagne in that bottle? Never a drop. It was a fake. Advertising stunt. He couldn't have got a drop of liquor of any kind into it or out of it. It would have leaked out through the holes that were cast right into it. I got the bottle and looked at it myself. It was porous. I told that to Oswald Eaton and he laughed again. And then a man came to me and assured me he would swear to having seen and sat alongside Eaton in a public house for five hours the same night the murder was committed. The public house was several miles from the place in Soho. I asked Eaton about the mistake, and he laughed again. <laughs> Astonishingly, we didn't have a very good case. And after Eaton had repudiated his confession, we found we were exactly where we had started. And when the trial started, Mr. Justice Anderson let it stumble along for one whole day. He was very patient. And then he stopped it. 
Mr. Benedict from the newspaper was in court to report on the outcome of the paper's great bid for justice. I could watch him turning several colors, or perhaps he was reflecting the colors that my face changed as Mr. Justice Anderson spoke. Anything more disgraceful I have never heard. A man goes to a newspaper office and says, I am confessing that I have been guilty of murder. The newspaper representatives then take him about the country, photographing him and for hours refrain from communicating with the police as every decent and respectable citizen ought to do as soon as he hears that a crime has been committed. I warn newspaper men of these proclivities that if they do this sort of thing, they are likely to find themselves very seriously dealt with. You will be interested in what happened to Oswald Eaton, the erstwhile sign painter, and the others. Eaton enjoyed the 500 pounds he was paid for his confession for a year or so. He then quietly disappeared, and a short time later turned up as an air craftsman in the Royal Air Force. He afterwards deserted. More about that later. Mr. Benedict lost his position with the newspaper and became a betting commissioner. That is to say, a bookie. And not a very prosperous one. The mystery of who murdered Marlena McCorcoran was, so far as I've been able to discover, never solved. I was discussing the case with Harold Turner one autumn day in 1936, five years later. I had a curious bit of news today, Hubert. Yes, what was that? Remember our old friend, the sign painter with the beard? Oswald Eaton? Eaton. I should never forget that one. Neither shall I. You all but had you arresting me for the murder of poor Marina Cochran. I wonder who did kill her. What about Oswald Eaton? Eaton. Uh, oh, yes, Eaton. He was in the RAF, you know. Still is. No. Huh? He was out in West Africa somewhere. I know. He's posted as a deserter. Good. Perhaps the cannibals will eat him. I shouldn't think he'd taste very good with that beard. <sighs> Not the fact he did desert what do they do to deserters? Time of war, they shoot. Too bad he didn't wait for a war to desert. Uh, he'll come to a bad end. I hope so. Clever blighter at that. Made a fool of me, all right. Made fools of everybody. The way he led me on. Wonder if he cooked up that scheme on the spur of the moment. Master. Came into the shop. Found poor Marlena lying there, scuppered. Thought of a way to get out of my hand. What a sap I was. No, I don't think so. Anybody'd have believed him. I fell for it. And then when he did get away, he rushed out and cooked up his phony confession. And his way to get out of it. And sold it to that stupid newspaper. Pretty smart. <laughs> Made a profit. <laughs> Wonder who did kill that Marlena woman. Nobody'll ever find out. Smart, clever man. Served it from the RAF, though. In West Africa. That's not smart. Hope the cannibals eat him. You said that. And I said they wouldn't. Count of his beard, you said. <laughs> <laughs> what business are you on now, Hubert? Scotland Yard business, my good man. <laughs> Same old things. Murders, robberies, fraud. Oh... There was an interesting murder yesterday. This morning, rather. What's that? Thank you, I will have another beer. Huh? Oh. Miss, a couple more pints of the bitter, please. What happened? Who? 
Woman over in Clapham. Oh, do they count murders in Clapham? Thank you, miss. Who was she? I don't know much about her. No, uh, no assignment of mine, thanks. Found her in her own flat. Different from poor old Marlena, strangled in an empty... Quite different. Right at home. Comfortable. With her head cut off. I don't know who she was. Fingerprints? Clothes? What not? Besides, she was at home. Any idea who did it? Not yet. <laughs> be careful, Oswald. Edel and be confessing to it. From West Africa. None <laughs> <laughs> of the wogs get him first. It's been a couple of weeks since he's deserted. Time enough for him to get back to Clapham by a snickersnee and go visiting. Watch for aircrafts, Manhattan, Chief Inspector. <laughs> I said that wasn't all. Exactly four days later, I had a telephone call from my friend, Inspector Arthur Austin, who was handling the case of the headless lady in Clapham. It's Arthur Austin, uh, Hubert. Look, Hubert, uh, weren't you involved in that case where the fellow confessed a few years ago? The murder thing, you mean? Wasn't you? I most painfully was. We've got something like that going. Oh, have you? That Clapham murder, you know. Got a confession from a chap. Chap with a beard by any chance named uh, Oswald Eaton? A beard named Oswald Eaton? Oh, fool. No, this one's got no beard, old boy. Must he have a beard? Mine did. This one hasn't. Pay no attention to him. Mine's a deserter from the RAF and the cannibals have eaten him. Beard and all. Oh, dear. Goodbye. But the cannibals hadn't eaten him. Oswald Eaton, now aircraftsman John O'Brien, had escaped them and come back to England, to Clapham, where he'd had the misfortune to fall in with an old friend and over a few too many drinks of something or other had unfortunately murdered her. And when the lady was dead, he remembered he had once made a tidy sum of money by making up a confession and then repudiating it. Of course, there wasn't any money in this one. But what'll work once or work again, he thought. He forgot something, though. He forgot he had once been married to this particular lady friend. And when Scotland Yard began to ask questions, it was thought very strange that air craftsman John O'Brien was the confession writer. And there wasn't any air craftsman O'Brien, but there had been an air craftsman Oswald Eaton who answered to much the same description. And he was a deserter, and the RAF wanted him. And when they found that the lady without a head had once been married to an Oswald Eaton, and the confession was quite useful. And Mr. Justice Anderson cheerfully put the square of black cloth on his head and sentenced Oswald Eaton to hang by the neck until he was dead. Which he did. Heard today on Whitehall 1212, Horace Bram as Inspector Scott. Others in the order of their appearance, Harvey Hayes, Carl Hobbard, Lester Fletcher, Morris Delamore, and Gerard Burke. This is Lionel Rico speaking. Whitehall 1212 is written and directed by Willis Cooper. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.
And that's Whitehall 1212 from September 7, 1952 with the Eaton Brothers case starring Harvey Hayes that was sustained as heard on NBC. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's more of Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hey, fans of Classic Radio, Carl Amari here. I've created a free app just for you. Get 10 Classic Radio shows free in the Classic Radio Shows app. Plus, there are many more shows available for in-app purchase. You can get your free Classic Radio Shows app in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. The easiest way to get your free app is to log on to Hollywood360radio.com and scroll down to the Classic Radio Shows app banner and click either the Google link or the Apple link. Don't miss out. Get your free Classic Radio Shows app today. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 Classic Radio Shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest Classic Radio Shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with 10 of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next week it's Mr. Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons, The Burns and Allen Show, Tales of the Texas Rangers, Crime and Peter Chambers, You Bet Your Life starring Groucho Marx, and The Chase. From my team here at Hollywood 360, thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.